scientist minds with the chip inside I can link and digitize that which prior to this was higher than science could ever devise This is a neural interface, we're gonna stick it in your face Till it in your brain and interlace There's an arms war on and we're gonna win the race Leave everything a race, bring the base Welcome to Dangerous Minds, where we delve into the minds of biohackers, grinders, and take a closer look at the tech being implanted and developed by this community. Joining us on the program tonight, Damien, a grinder and partner with DangerousThings.com, Cooper, a sysadmin who lives open source solutions, and Cursor, a software dev with a master's specializing in RF technology. Up first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Dangerous Things, who delivers custom gadgetry for the discerning hacker and biohacker. So check them out at DangerousThings.com if you or your organization organization is interested in sponsoring the efforts of Dangerous Minds podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at dangerousminds.io and or email us at info at dangerousminds.io and we will be glad to talk to you about it. So of course on this show again we have a special bulletin for Rich Lee. Um, as you know he's going for a bit of a rough patch and uh, he's fighting for custody of kids. Um, so as a community we're going to stand up and help him and sort of say, hey, we're with you, you've got our support. And to do so, there's an address to fund uh, to fund his, his efforts, which is at gofundme.com forward slash cyborg dad. I think if you actually search in cyborg dad now, it's actually like the second result, which is great. And I think at the moment, he's at 7,615 of a 10.8K goal. Uh, so last sort of push for him there. I'm sure we can get that done for him. So this week on Dangerous Minds, we have Nina from DEFCON's Biohack Village. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, how are you? Uh, could you start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what biohacking, grinding, and transhumanism means to you? So I'm the project manager of the biohacking village at DEF CON. And my grind is that I work with Amal from Dangerous Things. And specifically, I work on a medical diagnosis um, procedural-based implant, which I myself have. Does that implant have a name by any chance that you can say? So it's sort of part of the VivoKey project. Amal works on the more financial based side of it and I work on the medical side of it. Can you also tell us about the origin and the mission behind the Biohack Village at DEF CON? Sure, so I actually was not part of the first year at the Biohacking Village. It came about, actually the genesis of it, the actual genesis of it is there were some biologists or DIY biologists that were talking amongst themselves at DEF CON, wondering if the Biohack Village could exist because there were so many people that were in InfoSec and it, it bisected with um, biohacking. And the next year, they got nine talks, some demonstrations, lab time put in on the roster and they shared a village with someone else. And after that one, um, I actually went to that one and I was really excited about it. And that is the only reason I went to DEF CON. Uh, it was DEF CON 23. It just blew my mind because it was things that I had worked on. My thesis was actually based on the project that Amal and I are working on. And it was people of a like mind. So I wasn't the only weirdo that had all these ideas and nobody was listening and people were interested and interesting. So that made a lot of this, um, an easy transition. I made friends with the people that were on the board of the biohacking village and they had asked me if I wanted to be the project manager. And seeing an opportunity, I said absolutely yes. Um, I got that opportunity in January of 2016. I actually quit my job in February 
because I wanted to really explore what I was getting myself into. And it was one of the best decisions I made ever in my life, um, just to go around the world, talk to other biohackers, people that were interested, didn't know what they were getting themselves into, didn't know how to get into it. And I made a lot of introductions for people. Um, the community that we live in for the biohackers, grinders, transhumanists is so welcoming. And I, I think a lot of people are a little nervous initially whenever you have to talk to somebody else. But once you open that door and have some conversations, it's really great. It's just such a warm feeling. So, um, so for, for the people that um, are listening to this that maybe don't know too much about like DEFCON and stuff, what is DEFCON as a whole? And also what is, like as you call the Biohack Village? So DEFCON is North America's largest hacking conference. Um, there's a movie, I believe it's called War Games, that um, Jeff Moss, also known as the Dark Tangent, based off all of this off of. So DEFCON is annually done in the summer between July and August at Las Vegas. This year, it's the 27th through the 30th of July, and it's at Caesars Palace because they've also grown exponentially. So they've had to go to one of the bigger um, hotels in the area. And then the Biohack Village is just one of the villages that's within DEF CON. So they are focus groups based on some sort of knowledge. So there's IoT. Um, just as a plug, we're also teaming up with them this year to do a medical device hackathon and their social engineering, um, Wall of Sheep, Sky Talk, Lockpicking Village, and I'm forgetting some, and my apologies. Like, it doesn't, it's not on the top of my head right now. Crypto and privacy. Right, yes. They were there last year at Tribeca. Mm-hmm. And, and who is it sort of open to? Do you have to be like a major guy that knows everything about security or... Um, is it, will it be okay for everyone that sort of turns no, up? No, you have to be really elite to go to this. No, it's it's open to everyone. It's it's again, it's very community based. So novices, people that have never touched anything with infosec or any of the village issues, um, specialties, can just walk in and start talking to other people. For example, the first year I went, I literally knew one person and sat in the room with the other biohackers and was immediately made to feel at home. And it was lovely. It was that experience, you know, the first five minutes of just meeting the people made the rest of my time there so much more just exponentially more welcoming and warm and whole. It was a great experience. So you you sort of talk about the community being like really welcoming and stuff like that. And I know you're from a different coast to Cooper in terms of the U.S. Um, what sort of like the science communities co- are welcoming? Yeah, I think I think it, it tends to be okay no, no matter where you are. I know there's less of a following over here than over there, but yeah. even talking through the podcast and stuff, the guests we've had are all great. So, um, but I'm sort of wondering between places in the U.S., um, what sort of like community is there that side of that side of the uh, of the states as opposed to 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 um coopers and also is there any sort of recent developing issues with local governments and things that we've sort of seen um over here as well right so i honestly cannot speak for where cooper's from because i'm not intimately familiar but i live in new york um i live in brooklyn so here i think the community is a little tighter 
we have one of the first biohacker spaces that was established called GenSpace. And one of your other speakers, um, Oliver, is actually on the board. And they recently had a 350K donation given to them from the Simons Foundation to build out the space further, which is great. Um, there's a lot of people that go there and it's really needed to improve the space and make it larger. The other spaces we have up here um, is called Harlem Biospace, and it's a shared wet lab space that's further uptown in Manhattan. Um, a couple of other places that may not be so well known are Biobat, which is at the Brooklyn Armory, um, Army Terminal. SUNY Downstate, which is part of the State University of New York, has a biotechnology incubator. Biolabs is being built right now. The Alexandria Center for Life Sciences is more science, you know, with a degree focused, but I think they're also allowing some people to have some space on their own. And also uh, Rockefeller University in Manhattan has a, an incubator. So what would you tell someone that's thinking about getting started in biohacking um, and or getting about their first implant? Um, in, your, in your experience, how, how easy do you think it is to start and how did you start? How did I start? So I, I, I'm going to take a step back from that question. I feel like traditional science wants people to have some sort of degree to show that they understand the concepts, procedures, and policies. And that's great. However, one of the main reasons I even have a master's degree is because the hospital that I worked at paid for it. So I have a degree in medical and bioinformatics. And that's wonderful, but simultaneously, people don't have those kind of opportunities sometimes. So to get into this industry, I think Google is your friend. Anything can be found there. So if people go on and, and Google a person, place or thing, find what they need, and then contact people. One of my biggest, um, I don't even know how to say it, issues that I've had to get over being the, uh, the project manager at the biohacking villages, just being able to talk to people, writing cold emails and saying, hi, I think what you're doing is really interesting. And if you want to talk about it at the biohacking village, I would be more than happy to get you there and have you talk to people and give your information and, and see if you can collaborate, if there's something that you're interested in or you need help with. Just reaching out to people is one of the key factors in biohacking because I, we don't know what we don't know and sometimes that knowledge piece you can just find with someone else and collaborate so it would be if you wanted to do something um, to start with your own experience of an implant or a project just reach out to people I think this community is so well established now and open to talking to each other that no one's going to push an email out of the way saying I don't have time for that people are interested in each other's projects we all work together I think I have to agree I think I met Damien and also uh Emil through just literally messaging them out of, out of random coincidence and like all the um the audience are welcome to email us in the same note you know we're, we're always open to to help out with ideas or if there's anything that you, you want us to do then 
you know how to get hold of us. Um, so can I tangent off of that as well? Sorry, say again? So can I tangent off of your comment? Of course, yeah. So I met Amal at Body Hacks in Texas, and it was perfect because I really wanted my, my work, my thesis, my, the implant that I was working on, um, to do something and to go somewhere. And he already had the implant technology. And it was just about getting someone else that had experience with it on board and to listen to me and realize that this was something that would work and help people. Because I've worked in healthcare for about 11 years. So my life is built around making people either feel better or getting them a diagnosis or procedure or anything like that that helps them. I worked primarily in a surgical oncology at one of the hospitals up here. So, you know, having a, a diagnosis that you're not sure of or that's complicated and may or may not make sense to you is a big factor in people's lives. And I'm not sure that the medical community explains things really well. And then when people go online and look for their information, it's scary where this it, the medical world shouldn't be a scary thing. It should be your health care is simple and you can maneuver through it. Yeah, I think um, also like, as you were saying, when you spoke to uh, Amy, like everyone has time like no matter how busy these people are, you know, like even yourself, you know, everyone's running, running around doing stuff, but everyone always has time to listen. So don't ever feel like, you, you know, you're, you're not important enough or the idea you have may not be all the way there. Like you could be the next big thing everyone's looking for. So. Right. I'm constantly contacted on Twitter or through someone else or someone's friend or introductions at conferences. And it's, it's a good feeling. It's let me try and help you. I may not have the answer, but let me at least show you someone that might. I think it's one of the, um, the few communities where I think you've, you know, it just vibrates all the way through the community. I don't think there's, there's any area that you're like, Oh, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't go and speak to them. It's, it's very much everyone's on the same sort of level. And it's all love. Everybody's happy. Um, I, I actually had a question for you in terms of like, um, sort of to do with DEF CON really. So, Obviously, you you you're saying you're you're the project manager for the biohacking village, yeah. um, and obviously you're you're responsible for the success of that sort of project. But I was sort of wondering, why why do you do it? What what may what makes you you want to do it? And um, sort of like what spurs you to do it on a, on more personal level? I love this question. I actually get it a lot. I it's my magnum opus every year. Um, I want to bring together the community for everyone to see what everyone else is working on. And because we are such an intimate community, we may not see each other that often. It's sort of a family reunion, um, open source talk about what everyone is working on, what's their next steps, how are we all gonna get through some of the new legislations that have come down, things of that nature. I, I've always been an inquisitive person. So hearing about what other people are working on makes me want to help them more or just be able to get on a stage, talk about it, even if it's not complete. I've had people that have come with their, their experiments not completed, but I want them up there to talk about what failures they had um, because failures aren't really failures. They're just more steps to success. That's it. It's not an end. 
So um, their failures, their experiences, what they need help with, just bring everybody together, have a conversation. By the end, you've either got more knowledge or you know what you're supposed to be doing after that. So speaking of legislation, what have you, do you ha- see any issues with the right to augment and a relation of free speech and augmentation within the United States since our recent changes in the White House? So my ultra, I'm going to try not to be political answer, is um, the right to augment versus the need to augment. So the need to augment in my eyes is medical devices. You need a hip replacement. So technically, does that make you a cyborg to some people? Um, Or pacemakers versus the need to, uh, the right to augment. We all interact with our technology via our cell phones, right? And it's an external technology, whereas the the parts, the chips that I have in my hands or my arm interact with my day-to-day technology, um, make my day easier. I don't have to think about what I'm doing. So did I need them? No, but I need them, yes, to make my life a little easier. So for me, it's it's almost a double entendre. It's a double-edged sword. So with the right and the need to augment, my question on that is where is the line? The need to augment, is that for your survival or for you to regain something you have lost? Where, where's the line between the two? So need to augment can be both. You can need the pacemaker. You can need the hip replacement. I don't necessarily need a cell phone, but it's my right and I want one. To me, it's, it's, a, it's a very blurry line. We have the capabilities to put things into our bodies. Why not take advantage of these augmentations and interact with our external environments in a better way? I think for me, like, it's, it's definitely a question that we all think about a lot of the time. And I've sort of debated it with uh, friends and family and things. And what I find is, is the perception of the, the other person or the audience sort of changes. Um, between as you say the need and the want so for example if if i i was born without say a right arm and then i had like a a prosthetic that was maybe you know robotic motorized etc and it'd be seen as you know it's a perfectly acceptable thing etc etc now if i decide that i want i preferred that type of thing as opposed to what i have then it's it's totally seen as sorry what you currently have yeah, it's like an arm, yeah, in, right. instead, of, so, instead of my arm, right? Sort of like the premise that uh, Deus Ex is off of? Yeah, yeah, something, something along those lines. Um, right. And it may be seen as, well, what's he doing? You know, he's, he's changing who he is, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's the line between, the, the, the end result is still the same, but it's the prerequisite of the fact that it's almost, it's, it's replacing something as opposed to augmenting something. Does that make sense? Yeah, but... Aren't you augmenting if you can, I don't know, pull a hot plate off of the stove where with your normal hand you can? Yeah, so you, you'd, need, you'd need to change the existing hand. But at, at, the, at that point, it seems like everyone's sort of, uh, why have they changed something that was there? You know, we're not used to it, as opposed to if you just didn't have that originally. So for the sake of this argument, if... If uh, an implant, no, I'm sorry. Someone comes back from war, from war. 
they have the right to augment. Do they have the need to augment? I say yes, because they can walk around with crutches or they can get a leg that will, again, help them interact with their external environment. They're augmenting in a way that continues to help their lives move forward. But taking that same argument, if they then um, augmented to say they had, um, say they were a, uh, an amputee on the legs, right? Then they had, um, say, some sort of mechanical legs that could run faster than than you know the human legs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. If I, as someone that that's not an amputee, decided, hey, look, this is you know this does more than than what I originally have, and I choose to then you know as a, like a replacement right then then it's seen as something completely different and at that point you'd have everyone involved in terms of is that logical legal etc they did have this was a something that was brought up during the olympics because one of the runners i believe had won or bilaterally um lost his lower legs and bilaterally and they let him run in the Olympics and they weren't sure if he should be in the special Olympics because he had these prosthetic legs or if he was still good to run in the Olympics and that became an issue. But on that one as well, isn't that creating sort of a, I don't know what the actual term is, but you know how you've got the social divides of rich and poor and then it will end up sort of being exactly like deus ex brought to life. Um, If we keep separating people, in the way they choose to live and going back to your point on war so someone's come back from war and they've got a bit damage to their to their leg say if they're still able to use it but that it causes them to walk say slower they still have the right to augment but it shouldn't just stop with that person that's come back it should be the same for everybody do you agree or i'm i'm nodding i so I was, I have nerve damage in my leg and I don't necessarily know if it slows me down. That's, that's sort of a, a weird statement more because I live here and everybody's rushing around. So I don't know my walking capacity next to another person that's not from New York. Um, but because I have, I have nerve damage, I don't feel my leg sometimes. So I know it's there. I, I see it. It's connected to my body but the nerve damage has um, limited the feeling that I have. So do I have the right to remove my leg and get another one? Do I have the need to? I don't necessarily feel the need to. Do I have the right to? Yes. It's our bodies. Why should we be limited in how we function with them based on the terms of another person's ideals? I think. I 100% agree exactly what you just said in terms of the both the the need and the want are defined by the person. Right. So, you know, what what someone may need is maybe not what that person needs. So, although they sound like you know something that, that must be done versus something that someone wants to do, they they're essentially the same thing. Um you should have the right either way. Um but it's whether or not you you feel like you need to, which is the want. But then also, society seems, at least government seems, to jump in thinking they're doing good for the common good by limiting our own choices in this matter. But would, what does everyone feel on that? Uh, you know, staying away from like science fiction-ish 
body shops in the future uh, because that's with this type of availability, it might become commonplace at that point. Right now, it's mostly insurance and cost that keeps that from happening. But as technology becomes more available, cost goes down. Right. So the biohackers are doing the exact thing. They're a lot of it is removing the cost and making items, implants, um, body parts that are more cost effective, easier for the users to handle and give them ease of use, which is of more importance rather than the old school prosthetics that had a plastic hand that couldn't lift, couldn't do anything other than make you look like you had a, an arm where now there's, there's haptic feedback. It can hold a plate. It understands the different weights of things. It, it does things. It helps you move through your day. So going back to the point where Cooper put the government limiting access to this, at the moment, I don't think that's happening. I could be wrong. I don't know every government. Obviously, imports and all of that can be a factor. But I think it's more of a social uh, acceptance causing things to go a bit slower at the moment rather than interference. They did freeze in the United States. They did freeze a lot of monies that were going out, which a lot of people here used for grants and uh, to start their work. And that's hurting quite a number of people. So it's, it's not easy right now. I would say it's not. And there's also a lot of hiring freezes. So you, people aren't having the opportunity to go into other places such as um, the NIH to get the information they need or work on projects that would be helpful. I think um, going off Damien's point, it can be split into two categories. So on the one side, you have the social acceptability if you if you want to call it that um and i think that's something every every small minority needs to needs to battle against which is great why things like you know the biohack village um the podcast everyone speaking up against um you know what what can be done um you know it's all contributing to getting rid of that and then the other side is the government thing so so like uh, i don't know if you saw damien but two days ago um a body mod artist got arrested for splitting someone's tongue and removing an ear. Uh, and he's currently now facing charges and he has to wait until he's court case, but it's court case, but it's, it's something along the lines of like, so th- this is, this is a body mod artist that had full consent. Everything was written down. It was signed, etc. He didn't just walk around doing this thing. Right. Um, so how far are you owned for your own body? You know, at, w- at which point are you allowed to say, look, this is my body. It's not harming anyone else. There's arguments here regarding DNA where people are doing studies on them, on DNA. And it's the question is who owns the DNA at the end of it? Technically it's mine. I, I gave it to you. I understand that I signed off, but the, it's part of me. So you would think that based on this argument that the answer is simple and the owner of it, genetically literally is me but that's another thing that people are are walking into right now so well i didn't know about the uh the funds being cut and everything that's uh kind of crappy if i'm honest it is and 
going back on to Cursor's point, I didn't know about the body mod artist, but I know in certain states in the US it is illegal to do subdermal work because yeah. some people trying to get their implants have been trying to do it themselves on their own because no friends will help because they either see it as weird or they're not comfortable with the idea. But I think you should be able to do it if the person getting it done gives the full consent. If you Like you say, it's your body, you're hurting nobody. And yeah, how does this impact on somebody else's life? There's no way you can really restrict it because regardless if it's a piercing as a surface bar or a small glass tube with an NFC chip in it, it's not going to be able to be anyway used as some form of weapon or anything illegal so tangenting off of something earlier it was the funding isn't so much here anymore where people are having issues and, and the hiring fees a lot of diy groups spaces people individuals are getting things off of the internet they're buying their own equipment and creating labs within their houses and technically, the, um, in America, the FBI bioterrorism group is supposed to be watching over the DIY bio people. And they've essentially asked us to police ourselves. They keep tabs on what people are doing, but it's, it's us watching over ourselves. And I think we do a pretty good job of doing that because we, we hold each other very culpable for the outcomes it's it's very much almost like the hippocratic oath where it's do no harm to to another human being so talking about rights to our own bodies what have you i i know we've seen this in legal stories for a while especially with women in general trying to have the right of control of their own bodies for you know pro choosing to end a pregnancy what have you and that's coming up again with recent changes again in the government to where there's looks like they're trying to limit that choice as well as others in citizen science as well. You know, we, we saw that discussion at Body Hacks and it became somewhat heated and somewhat scary too. Just think of it as you know, even legalized uh, recreational pot in California and in Colorado, and still the DEA shows up and conducts raids. How long will it be, you think, till something similar might end up happening? I can't answer that question, honestly. And one of the reasons I can't answer that is because last year, one of the FBI agents from the bioterrorism department was at DEF CON. And he, he spoke and he talked to people about what was going on. And I do know that he has conversations with some other people that I know about their home labs, about what they're working on. And they do keep tabs. I don't think, honestly, I don't think that their intention is to impede our work. I think it's literally to make sure that we don't, go out and create some bio agent that's going to hurt anyone but they do want to just make sure that we're working within the guidelines technically of a normal lab 
I think that raises like, sorry. So really quickly, also to go along with that, there's a group called I Am The Calvary that I um, help do some stuff with, and they have a Hippocratic Oath for medical devices, which is really well done. And again, it's to have things that don't hurt people with the way that they're constructed and to make sure that software is updatable and that the hardware um, works, especially if these things are going to be implanted into a human body. Um, and there's another group called Syntec Bio, which is in Latin America, and they are just coming together brilliantly. Created, they've created a PDF. I can send you that PDF if you want, and you can put it up on your site. Um, just working really well with the rest of that country because they're not as um, ahead, I guess, to where we are, but they're they're definitely putting a lot of effort in, and the stuff that they are working on is just magnificent. Um, as I say, yeah, um, as you say, there's 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 great work coming out of a lot a lot of different places. I know there's yeah. some research being done. Um, I think in in the south of Brazil at the moment as well, uh, with those guys down there. Um, but it does raise them. another. Sorry, say again. You know them. Some in them? in South Brazil. Yeah. They are they they're running that um, the the bio bio camp is it? Oh, I don't know. I know yeah. one of the guys. Oh, Exosphere. Is that what you're talking Exosphere. about? Exosphere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a few guys down there that we've we've interviewed before. Um, but I think it raises the the bigger question of of the privacy versus security argument again, but it's, it's strange because whereas you can apply lots of these things to like data um, and say infosec, you can apply it directly to biohacking. So for example, as you say, the secure securing of DNA, if you use, if you allow DNA to be used in, as you were saying, Charles, I'm not too sure what, what the exact um, you know, way, way it was being used, but whose DNA is it then? The same thing now applies to data. So if you use a cloud storage system such as Google, um, are you are you giving away ownership with that data? Um, I know with cer certain places they own data as opposed to other cloud storage se sessions, but it's it's directly that the same problems that you see with infosec are direct directly going back to biohacking again. So maybe if we can sort out those issues before they get directly to biohacking, then that would be great. But I don't I don't know how deep that 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 is already. You want to talk about that at DefCon? Yeah, yeah, we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, Dangerous Things now owns everyone's hand who has an implant. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things that, that need to be considered um, in, in terms of, you know, the relationship between the arguments for, for data are the same as biohack, biohacking. And you, you'd have people that would stand up for, for the data rights but at the same time, we turn around and say the right to augment is not there. So, so it brings like, you know, it's, it's, it's almost quite hypocritical in a way. So just on that, one of the implants that he and I work on, so it's, I don't know if you can see Can you see that, the scar a little bit? Yes. So that is an NFC implant that Amal and I are working on that will hold medical data. And again, it's going back to who will own that data once it's put in. Is it mine 
or is it the um, the doctors, the hospital? But the way that we're working on it is very specific in who will get to see it and who will own it. So that's something that once we finalize everything, we would have to look at legislature. And and sort of like, is is there any bodies that sort of could approve that to that level? Because um, obviously we're, we're talking about groundbreaking technology now. So yeah. there's, you know, fundamental organizations that are in place for, for, for things that exist. But we're going to have different problems that come up. And is there anyone that, that can overcome those problems? I honestly don't know. I want to say the FB, uh, the FDA would have to be involved in it. However, the the laws are so subjective that you that you kind of can move over it. Um, but again, because it's subjective, I may read it one way, you may read it another way, and then the FDA will read it a different way. And then I am now truant in some manner, and I have to pay some fine or take it out or stop investigating. So that is something that has to further um, needs further research and has to be looked into. Now, with uh, the details of who owns the data, it is that would be sort of grey because it's about you, so you have the right to hold it, but then it's also owned by the hospital because, they're, one, they're going to need it to help you out. It's a great idea for people that are anonymous and you can't find out who they are, so like you'd label them as John and Jane Doe. It would give you answers as to things that they're allergic to, so... Yeah, it shouldn't be owned by anyone other than the person it relates to and the hospital. I understand it, but what if you go to a specialized hospital? So do certain people own certain aspects of that, but I own the whole? So if only certain people see certain parts, what if I need them to see one of my specialists? So the way that we're working it, not to get into too many details, um, is that I will be able to grant them access. And it can be for a specific time. It can be indefinite it can be until i retract that so then since it's not exactly a medical device then it's not under the guise of fda but it's also if it's containing health information then do you have to be worried about hipaa regulations as well when handling health information these are all questions i don't know the answers to right now because it's conceptually brand new Mm-hmm. And because it's so brand new, it's there's no precedence. So there's a lot of other people that need to be involved once it's near or closer to its finalization and, and ready for people. Also, I think it calls in different questions about uh, legislation. So, for example, over here we have the Date Protection Act, um, which would protect you against any information that would allow the identification of a person but there's also the argument of if that that medical storage device doesn't hold enough information to directly identify someone then does it does it come under the class of of metadata because as we know there's lots of devices that collect metadata you know uh, storage devices data exchanges and it's all metadata so if it comes under that label of of metadata would we have any protection over that i don't know I still need to figure, there's a lot of questions. In theory, what I want to create makes sense. Um, so here's my sidebar for this. So my, my mother had one of the rarest cancers in the world and she was at work and she works in the borough of Queens. 
and her doctor and hospital were in Manhattan and she fell one day and opened her knee up and there was blood and, and she went back and cleaned herself up and it was fine. But when you ask someone, I'm not just saying cancer, I'm just saying in general, what medicine are you on? I'm on chemotherapy. Okay, what kind of chemotherapy? They don't know. It's just that they're on chemotherapy. And because I worked at that hospital, I knew her protocols. So I knew the, the medicines that she was on. But it's, it's one of those moments where you have to make sure that you're on top of your own healthcare during the, the natural disasters we have here, the hurricanes, the earthquakes. People don't necessarily run to their uh, medicine cabinets, take hold of everything, put in a bag and run with them. They, they grab the other things, the things that are important emotionally usually. Um, so asking someone, what do you take? It's, I, I take a white pill. Or I, you know, I, I put a syringe in me. What does the syringe have? Medicine. What kind of medicine? It's for my sugar. Okay, what kind of sugar problems do you have? And you know, I have diabetes, but what type? What kind of medicines? How often do you take it? Things of that nature. And most people don't really think about those things on a daily basis, and it doesn't um, resonate so that they can have a conversation if something was to go wrong. And that's what I want to avoid in the future. There's too many issues with people not being taken care of medically, and that bothers me especially in this country where, you know, almost everywhere else, it's um, social, socialized medicine where everyone has care and the records are, are everywhere. So it's that, that needs to be something that happens. We need to be not necessarily more open with our data or medical data, but it needs to be that if something happens, we can get to it. It's for also ease of use, essentially. Talking about ease of use, talking about availability of data. EFF is often a good place to turn uh, yeah. for stuff dealing with InfoSec with internet related issues. Um, like we saw them step in and help uh, Chris Roberts during his whole FBI fiasco. Mm -hmm. Is there anything like that out there for biohackers yet? Or would EFF would be a good place to turn still? Or? EFF is actually working on medical privacy right now. Oh wow! Um, mm -hmm. And I was I'm I'm going to ask them to come to DefCon as well to, to to talk about that. And they are working on a project called Apollo Twelve O One, and that also has to do with a lot of information and how we are not able to update software due to clauses that the manufacturers give us. And while I understand their clauses, it's not, it's not feasible. If there's something that needs to be fixed, it should be fixed, which is why I'm also working on the, the medical device hackathon. So that if something is wrong and something needs to be fixed, the manufacturers will know about it and they can go about making it better. Uh, so you've answered the implants that you currently have. Um, mm -hmm. Are there any more that you want to get in the future? And um, are there any that you've had to remove? And would you share with us why they were removed if so? I don't know what other implants I would want right now. Actually, that's not true. So the one that's in my arm, it's, it's one of the larger models that we have. And when it was being implanted, the piercer didn't make a large enough pocket. And because he didn't make a large enough pocket, when the NFC went into it, it bent a little bit. 
and when it bent, it broke it essentially. So I do need to have that removed, but they also, I will also be testing it inside an MRI before I remove it. So that's, that's what needs to happen. Do I have any, and do I want any in the future? Well, the one I want in the future is going to be smaller than this and it's going to have my medical data and hopefully, you know, the D, uh, the FDA will, will look at it and say, bright, brilliant job, high five me and make this work. So what current projects are you working on and how are you incorporating them with your, your implants? I'm, I know you've talked about uh, medical data, what have you. Is there anything else you're doing with them? There's a list. Um, not necessarily with my implants per se, but I teach a STEM class to third graders with Sebastian Kochioba, who does botanical biology. He's brilliant. He is such a wonderful person to work with. I also work on the B-Sides New York conference, the CypherCon Biohack Village, and what else do I do? There's a list. I don't have the list. There's too many things now happening in my head. So in, in terms of like, um, obviously you sort of give a voice to the biohack community in a, in a way as well, which I think is great. There you go. That's a nice little uh, thing for that. But um, what, what do you reckon is, is holding back the biohacking community from sort of making a breakthrough to the so-called mainstream uh, arena? What, what are the challenges and how do we overcome them? I think people fear us in a way. They don't exactly know what we are doing or what we are trying to do. And maybe it's because we aren't mainstreamed enough so they don't understand. And of course you hear the word hacking and instant fear because hacking is, it's, it's almost a bad word now. If we were to say just the, the DIY bio community, people might be more open to interacting with us. So as, as a complete sidebar, one guy asked me what I did for a living and I told him I was a biohacker and all he word heard was hacker and he literally turned around and ran away. And that's fine. But it also comes down to, you know, people think we just cut ourselves open and stick things inside and see if they work and then take them out. And that's not what we do. There was a talk at Body Hacks um, by, by Jeff Tibbet, and he said, people have no idea how much time we spend looking up how to make the, the incision, how to, to close the incision, how to make sure it's a sterile environment, and what should we use to, to clean the skin, and, and what sort of um, scalpel, and all of these things that go into what we do. It's not just about, we spend a lot of time on the technology, yes, but it's also, how is it going to work with our body? What about rejection? What about if it goes in and like mine, it doesn't work, what do you do with it? Can you still test on it? Can you still work on it? Do you leave it in? It's things of that nature. How would it become more mainstream? There was, there's a, I wouldn't say a conference, but there's, there's an event in New York called Tribeca Film Festival. And last year they teamed up with DEF CON and Mr. Robot and a couple of the villages presented while we were here. Biohacking Village was one of them. And Neurotech X was there and they were showing off their, their neuro um, gadgets, the Muse and other such things. And the sensory, neo-sensory was there showing off their vest. And uh, Michael, my friend Michael and I were there talking about DNA and bioinformatics and biometrics. And I was, I was actually 
with the chips, part of the, the game, people had to figure out that my hand was part of it, clone my hand, put it onto something and then be able to open a door. And people were amazed because I had something in my hand that could transmit information. And they were shocked because I had something in my hand that could transmit information. So a lot of people weren't deterred from getting it, but they were interested. And if we don't teach them how to be part of the community, we're always going to be outliers. So there's one point I want to expand on, and I really liked your use of uh, saying bio-community instead of bio-hackers. I think that is a good, uh, good point. But just to go further on your researching of, say, how to do an incision, what people don't realise is when they go to the doctors, they get the, I think Amel posted about this before, actually. Um, they put a coating on of iodine, and then they instantly put yes. the injection they don't dry it they don't let it crystallize because iodine does fuck all until you let it crystallize and no one realizes that that does bug me so much <laughs> but we've all come to this understanding that the medical world knows exactly what they're doing and we go to them because they're professionals and there's there's a lot of things that we do because we don't want to get in trouble and that would hurt our science that would hurt our reputation that would hurt our experience so we work really really diligently just to make sure that every aspect of this is as close to perfect as possible i think that's as far as we got through an episode without it turning explicit um that's probably a new record so uh well done guys <laughs> Yay. Yeah. i know if i was having an uh, an operation of some type i'd prefer a, a, a biohacker or from someone from the bio community to to to, to be cutting it um i'm not too sure about when they get inside but <laughs> Definitely like yeah. to see what things I think. I know um, from our from our talk with um, Jeff and things like that, you could tell the amount of time and the amount of effort that you put into you know testing things out. Right. Even his self projects, he was talking about eating like I can't remember how he described it, but this this awful thing for for months on end, just so that he got to a point where he could actually test something else out. Yeah, you were talking about the trying to get rid of vitamin E from his diet so that he could experience better the night vision eye drops. Totally starved that that serious vitamins out of his body just to have a better reaction to the the eye drops. It made it for an interesting story in the in the conversation. Wasn't that the uh, vitamin A two? And he, he described it as eating slush for six months. Yep. Yeah. What? That was uh, it's on his episode. Uh, what he, he done? Well, after this, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. He does show how much he does research into each one of his projects. He describes what went wrong and what he learned from it. And yeah, he does do a lot of work for the community. Right. And he, you know, in his line of work, he has to pay a lot of attention to those sort of things. And just to go backwards, um, the, the cleanliness and such, you know, to have a biohacker that would open you up and let the surgeon do work on you. That's I, from the doctors I've worked with it, they're, they're so, smart and diligent about how they work and i've taken a lot of tips from them so even when i'm injecting people i am i'm obsessive compulsive if i touch anything doesn't matter what it is gloves come off i put new ones on i wait for the 
the alcohol to, to, to crystallize. I talk them through the whole thing while I'm doing it. I make sure that everyone is comfortable. And at the end, I always check up on people, always. I've, I've got emails and Twitters and, and text messages just to make sure, how are you feeling? How is it feeling? Is it bleeding? Is there bruising? Is there anything else that you need? Can I help you with it? Do you need to program it? Whatever the case is. And um, that was a lot of my experience when I went down to, uh, I was in Bolivia and Chile, and a lot of people were amazed that I called them the next day to make sure that they were okay, because I don't think even their doctors do that. Well, I mean, that is a great point to jump on to my next question. So are there any more uh, pointers that you take from your medical friends in ensuring safety of your projects, i.e. the medical implant at the moment? Do I take any details from them well a lot of it is asking patients you know what medicines are you on what what are your diagnoses what procedures have you been through even now when i when i give implants to people i'm my questions are when was the last time you had a steak i want to make sure your iron is high enough i do i i spot check their blood um after after the um injection if it's bright red i tell them you need to go get a hamburger like now you need to press on this for 15 minutes. If it's still bleeding in an hour, you need to come back like directly to me, things like that. Because it's, I don't want anyone to get sick. I don't want them to have a bad experience because that one bad experience could be something that will deter them from our community in general. And if I'm the face and I'm the personality behind everything that they're seeing, they're more apt to come and talk to someone or, or be in a relationship and say, please help me. This is what I'm working on. I'm, I'm stuck. I need a friend. I need help. And tell their friends to go, you know, to go get an injection as well. So we've talked a lot about your project with Amel, uh, developing an implant for better accessibility and availability of health information to make life easier for doctors and first responders working with them as patients. My question is past that, is there any other implant that you feel is missing in this world that we are slowly, somewhat not so slowly evolving into? What implant then would you want to be developed? That's a loaded question. I can't answer that right now. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a logical answer. I would have to think about that for a little while. Do you not have a wish list or a need of wants? I have a lot of wants. What would I want? Um, this might sound a little spiteful, but I have, <laughs> I've tried to get a hysterectomy since I was 18. I'm very aware that I do not want children. It, you know, in, in this country, it's the whole thing of, well, you might want a kid, leave it there just in case. And that's nice but it's against my wishes. It's not something I want. And um, I actually had an IUD that was rejected by my body and I had to get it removed within 26 hours of having it primarily because my doctor was not there the next day. So I had to you know, stagger around and sit in pain because I needed my doctor to get this out. And when I got it when I actually sat down and spoke to him about what I was going through, he said, is this a pain you can live with? No, no, it is not a pain I can learn to live with. No, under no circumstances. And he took it out and said that this was probably my body's way of saying I should have babies. So 
I am really looking forward to the day when there might be some sort of implant that works for the, I, I think it's either 0.2 or 2.3% of women that bodies reject these things. And it was literally a rejection. My body wasn't just, we don't want this. Can, can you kind of remove this? My body was pushing it out. Um, it, it was, there was a lot of blood. So you should oppose that because that's just bad. <laughs> but that's what I want. Doctor is an asshole, really. My doctor is a man and doesn't understand. Wow. <laughs> I do not want children. And literally every doctor, every gynecologist I've ever gone to, I have asked them for a, a hysterectomy, something, not a hysterectomy, but just to cut my tubes, do something. And they don't want to do it just in case I decide that I want children. So that just leads back to you know, earlier discussion, right to augment, right to ownership of your own body. And thereby you almost have to find a decent doctor that will listen to the patient's wishes. Is that kind of how you're seeing it too? Cause it, to me, it just sounds like uh, they're not listening to what you want trying to enforce their own values and needs upon your own and not really diagnosing the need at the time. Well, according to them, my body needs to have babies because that's what it's built for. Oh, and I, I decided years ago before, you know, just that I did not want them. Um, my, my babies are, are my brainchild, you know, my brain children, like, DEFCON, the biohacking village, that is my brainchild. The projects I work on, those are my brainchild. I help people get jobs that are in biohacking. And these are the things I work on all day. And they make me happy. And understandably, children make people happy. I have a niece. I have a nephew. I'm content with those human beings being part of my life. So is it part of the, it's, it's the discontent of medicine. They know what they want for you. It's the ideal situation. You should have children because you're a female, but I do not want them. I wonder if the same argument would be posed uh, for a man. No, here, here, a man can literally walk in tomorrow morning, say, I'd really love to get a vasectomy. And by Tuesday, he will be there. Do you not mean that it's my my purpose in life to have to have kids like <laughs> is, it, is it not there exactly for that reason you know what i mean it's it's, it's yeah. just strange how it's it's to totally different you know <laughs> yeah that's kind of a loaded question in its own right but yeah what does it make or is the difference really in a female and a male if they're trying to impose their own values their own wishes on a patient saying it's your body's reason to, because it was built to have a child. Well, what about a man? Exactly. You know, it's not, there isn't any, you know, there is a primal need even down to hormones to procreate, right. what have you. So it's, what, what's the difference in my opinion? And it just makes me wonder at that point, just because I have an Audi instead of an Innie, why does it mean I can get my tube cut or removed? Though my own personal opinion, I don't want to fire blanks. I'd rather be a loaded weapon. I've never, <laughs> never heard uh, described like that. Now that the FBI, NSA are following you because you said you have a loaded weapon. 
Now you have to explain oh. them. So as far as the women are concerned, there's a group in Spain called Gynapunks. And they're working on really great projects that will help women with, um, you know, the yearly exam, better tools, things of that nature, to make it not as difficult for women to get their tests. They actually have a way to 3D print the speculum as well. So if they're in an area that doesn't, that isn't readily accessible by um, helicopter or anything else, they can make their own instruments. I can see that coming in there, quite useful. So going through, again, what everything we've said today, it's gonna to be quite hard for you to say, but what's your single best achievement? What do you feel is uh, kind of marked everything for you? My single best achievement, going to that first meeting at DEF CON, just walking into that room and seeing the faces of other curious people that worked in biology and it was almost a super secret club with people of the same interests and the same things that brought joy during the intermissions everyone kept talking and we moved out into the corridors that that moment of just meeting people and going through defcon and the biohacking village and meeting all the people that open your eyes to things you had never thought about. Similarly to this, talking about the implant, I, I know what I have to work on, but it's always somebody else comes from a different angle and says, well, what about that? That's the best part. Just always the conversations that open up into things that you hadn't thought of. I guess that's, that's more of a spur to get everyone to go. You know, like if, if, this, is, <laughs> this, is your, if this is your moment of achievement, then everyone that's listening to this could, could have a similar you know, experience. They've just got to go i guess it's got to be one of those things um i guess i, I guess i'm, I'm I looking for the same thing <laughs> i try to outdo the last year every time so from what i've got so far it's looking pretty intense and this year is a uh, cursor is coming so um you know <laughs> it's got to be the best now. <laughs> uh, cooper's now doing a, a so it makes it all complete <laughs> Cooper's doing a gesture to me, which I don't think agrees with my last point, but we'll segue on to the next question. So, so from the start, um, you're talking about when you first begun the journey. If you like, this is this is this is a bit of a of a personal question as well. But like, um, what's the biggest impact you want to make? Like, what's the end goal, and sort of um, what do you want to be remembered for? If you can go that deep, what do I want to be remembered for? I'm turning pink. As far as biohacking village, you mean? Either or. It's, to it's total personal. Everything. Spectrum. Okay. So I'll, I'll start with biohacking village. I want people to come and experience it. Because, you know, looking at your computer and researching is very different from having a warm body talk you through something and creating those friendships and those bonds and those relationships. And just last year, it was really great to see all the people talking in between the talks and saying, oh, what are you working on? Is there something that we can, we can collaborate on? That's wonderful. And as far as a, a personal goal, 
I really want, I really want medicine to open up to us. I want them to not be so jarred by the things we work on because we're not working in a malevolent sort of fashion. We are working to make things, to standardize things in a different way, make things more affordable. You know, the $300 shot, what was that for? The EpiPen, the $300 EpiPen versus the $30 EpiPen that was made. We should take better care of each other. That's what I want. That's my personal goal. We need to take much better care of each other. And that would be, I think that would eliminate a lot of problems just across the board. So with everything we've gone through, I'm sure there's going to be lots of people wanting to learn more, do more, and perhaps help more as well. How are people able to keep up to date with your own work, your projects, including that of the Biohack Village at DEF CON? DEF CON Biohacking Village Twitter is DC underscore BHV, and my personal Twitter is at Head in the Booth. And I Twitter about all the science stuff that's going on, so it's, it's a pretty good read if you want to do something. Also, can we talk about the CFP? Yeah, that's uh, why the whole thing of final comments and questions directed to hosts and guests, meaning you can ask us questions or, or you can talk about the call for papers. Can I segue? Can I segue? You want to jump? You can jump, Cursor. No, it's not a jump. It's a segue. So (laughs) I don't know why I'm giving you guys all this hope. All it is is, and so how do we keep in contact with DEF CON? Mind blowing. Right. (laughs) So their Twitter is at DEFCON. Awesome. And um, what date is it again? And how much is it? Do we buy tickets? Do we turn up? What's the deal? You turn up and you pay a flat fee, which I don't know what it is this year. I believe last year it was 250 or 260 And it's all last year it was 250 cash. Okay. And it was just a line. They didn't... They didn't run out. When they ran out of actual badges, they gave out paper badges too. Right. That's a human. Human. Mm -hmm. And as a sidebar, the call for papers, the CFP, will be opening later this week on Wednesday. So that should initialize some people, get excited. And that's Wednesday, February 8th, right? Correct. Uh, And what's the procedure for that if we want to get involved with that? What, What do we do? you will go to the website and just check out what we're talking about this year because we usually have a theme. Um, But it's not necessarily that that we have to stick to that theme because again, it's about interesting talks that will push people to to make moves. And then the CFP link is on there. Just click on the link, add in the CFP information and we will have our final thoughts in May. So we'll be sending out acceptance letters then. It's a good time, guys. Just throwing that out there. On that note, definitely a special thanks to Nina for taking the time to talk to us today. If you want to learn more about this journey we take weekly, check out DangerousMinds.io. All of us want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us as we further explore the tech and the people behind it within this fastly growing community of biohacking, grinding, and plantable technology today. Please feel free to reach out to us with questions, comments, you're welcome to find us at DangerousMinds.io. Our Facebook page, you can find it just by searching Dangerous Minds Podcast on Facebook. And perhaps one day, we'll talk to you about the projects you're exploring and developing. Until next week, 
Seek the Spark. Scientific progression is steamrolling, there's no preventing it going ahead. Now we're intrinsically linked with technology, biology as we know it is dead. I was reading DEFCON's call for papers today, DEFCON proper. A lot of people are using, or in the past, at least in the recent past, have been using their real names for talks. Really? And, yeah, and they put it back on that, uh, you know, if you have a handle, we'd like to use your handle. And I'm almost certain it's because of the Trump administration because he had said that there were a lot of issues with the intelligence agencies here and that we were all lying and you know, the whole intelligence community itself got bastardized and a lot of people were very unhappy and um and that's why at defcon i don't tell people my real name i, I think i carry maybe 10 cards with me with my real name on it and i give it out and it's only those 10 people that get it well the other thing is uh you know North America's largest hacker conference. I think feds are going to be everywhere. Here's something else that I thought was pretty funny. And one of you guys made the comment earlier that I'm the voice of the, the biohacking community because of DEF CON. Um, while we were at Body Hack, someone walked up to me and said, you know, she thanked me for letting her talk at Biohacking Village and that it gave her the opportunity to talk at Body Hacks. And she said, you are the oil that keeps this running. And I laughed hysterically and I was like, oh no, I'm a huge fuck up. You have no idea. And she's like, no, no, but regardless, it's, you're great. And then I was, when we were still at Body Hacks, we had the conversation about maybe getting our own group together to work on looking at each other's stuff and make sure that it was okay. And afterwards, after I made all my comments, somebody said, you're always the voice of reason. You're very logical. I'm so not. I am, if you have a normal conversation with me, I am so fucking weird. So Sir Namor was standing in central London. We went up to a shop window and there was a drum setting guitar that's literally about this big. It's maybe four or five inches high at very most and um Abel's comment was that would be a perfect size for cursors just to use and then we started calling them pocket yeah i'm sorry pocket but that's just terrible we'll talk about the needles and the heroin again oh good <laughs> i like how you put recording as soon as i say that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's definitely that's gonna be our intro for this episode yeah. am i on the wrong uh. show <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, we've got Nina from defcon body hack village and She's talking about injecting heroin. And coke. That's not an advertisement. I don't know what it is. <laughs> so we thought we were going to talk about nootropics at some point, but oh goodness. Are you really, do you really want to talk about nootropics? Because I eat like a five-year-old, so no. I'm the wrong person to talk about nootropics. Do you have a plate that goes with the mug? <laughs> I do. Yes. Uh, <laughs> She's got a cup. A little plastic knife and fork as well. No. No. Oh. But they saw them cheap in Ikea. Do you want so. me to go see if the plate is here? Because I will completely hold it up the whole time. <laughs> no, I don't need to hold it up. What does the cup say again? I'm going to make that. Um, the cup says best kid ever. Uh, the plate it's also says very colorful, and it's in that, that font that you would just totally expect on a fridge door. You're going to yeah. put a sticker over it saying best hacker ever? Ooh. Or best Ooh. grinder? I like, I like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm just going to do it like this, put this on Twitter, and say fill in the blank. <laughs> There's too many ways to innuendo that. That's, that's way too easy. <laughs> that's true. This will not end well, and this will turn into like a Photoshop battle. Oh my 
time. <laughs> about Trump anymore. It'll just be like, what's what's new? It's got yeah, <laughs> trending. This cup is trending so much better than tr- whatever stupid shit Trump said today. Yeah, no, there's a ban. Okay, well, let's talk about the cup. And then the one cup, one girl. I thought you were a lovely lady until then. 